Have you ever woken to find yourself surrounded by amazing people? It's such a wonderful moment when you look around, you're on the road and there around you have gathered a tribe, your tribe. It might have began with a person lost in the forest and an older lady on the edge of the desert and after the desert and after the sanctuary there was the day you came across the beaten up kid on the side of the road, he'd been left for dead by some band of bandits and person after person had passed over him too busy to bother but you reached down and you took his hand and you took him to the inn and you spent your money to take care of him until he was better and he's been walking with you ever since and there was the marshes that you band of now four came to and there were a whole lot of people stuck in the mud yelling at you about how unfair it was that they got stuck and a few you tried to help out but then you realised at the end of the day they didn't want to get unstuck so you had to leave them behind in their own misery but you still had to cross that marsh and so you set up tent for the night and sometime in the dark of that night a marsh creature came close to get warm by your fire. You didn't chase them away as so many have done. You let them stay and then it came to the next day and it was they who led you across the marshes as they joined your merry band. And through joining you, the true story of what the marsh creatures are like, well, it was spread throughout the land. And there was the day you were joined by the lonely bartender who was serving you all at your lodging. Some of your friends in your travelling tribe told her about the journey that you were all on and there was the day too you were attacked by giants blocking the path forward and it was only because you worked together that you made it past their hairy knuckled crushing blows. There were some who joined you for a time on the road before heading on their way. There were many who stayed but whoever it was, whoever on the road, you just made sure that they knew. They had a place to belong, a tribe. So it was that you look around this morning what began as a solo journey is now a tribe of wanderers all walking together, sometimes fighting together, each with their own dreams, but together you walk, supporting all the way. Together on the journey, you are no longer alone. And as you walk the path that day, you realise, perhaps after all, this is actually the point. These people, you realise this journey has not just been about you. And in this realisation, that vision of where you are heading, of who you are becoming, well, it gains even more clarity. This is who I am here for, you realise. These people are who I am here for, to help them on their journey. And so in that moment, well, the destination of this journey, it, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. For the people that you journey with, this is what comes to matter most. Welcome, tribe, to the deep place. Friends, you are listening to season three of the Deep Place podcast. And in this season, we are going on a journey, the creative journey. My name's Joel McCarrow and I'll be somewhat of a guide through the strange and wild lands that make up our creative worlds. So would you take my hand, shake the dust, pick up your packs, and let's go. 
the Deep Place podcast was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, a land that was stolen. As a podcast, we pay our respects to the traditional custodians and storytellers of this land. And we thank Aunty Di Kerr for her blessing to tell stories and poetry on this land. friends today we're talking tribe we're talking people we're talking the fellow travelers on our creative journey the people that we have picked up on the way as we have gone about whatever your creative life might look like whatever your life might look like there are people around you and perhaps one of the greatest things to realize really truly is that life makes so much more sense and is so is so much fuller when we share it with people even if we are introverts and don't like people <laughs> Um, still, even then, work, it, it, part of it is working out who you are and what kind of people you want to bring on your creative journey, um, how you go about your life journey and whether you have lots of friends around, whether you have little friends, few friends, one friend, life is better shared and there are people who want to share our lives with us. Um, Chris McCandles at the end of Into the Wild, there's that beautiful scene in the movie where he's almost at death's door on the bus out in Alaska or wherever it was and he writes in the the book notes in the side of a book he scribbles happiness is only real when shared happiness is only real when shared in his life in his in his pursuit of solitude this is the heart of what he comes to his realization happiness is only real when shared may you friends find those people on your journey who you might share the journey with the happy parts of it and the hard parts of it so many of us who are creatives in all the years that I've been coming alongside creative people, so many of us who are creative struggle with loneliness or, or being alone um, or feeling alone. And, and what's really interesting is for like all of them, nearly all of the people that I have kind of come alongside and journeyed with, especially who have felt alone, it doesn't actually take long for them to realize, actually, that's just a story that I've been living out of. Like it's one of my ways that I make my life small. It's one of my kind of protective coping mechanisms is I hide away in isolation or believing that no one around wants to be kind of, wants to be part of my tribe, wants to connect, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't take long to realize actually there really is. And I, and I truly believe this, that one, I think that our aloneness, aloneness is actually a beautiful thing. Aloneness is not a bad thing. Aloneness welcomes us into friendship with our own self. And that is absolutely crucial. Aloneness does not have to lead to loneliness. And when we can choose a different story around this, as hard as that might be, 
if we've been let down by people, if this has happened and that's happened in our life and everyone, these are the, the stories that we tell about how people are not for us. I just, and I, it's almost like I want to promise you, I know I can't promise it for you in your life, but I want to urge you, there are people in your life, there truly are people in your life who care about you, who love you, who want to know you. And part of the journey is opening our eyes to that reality, being willing, being willing to open our eyes to where people do want to enter into our life and not holding on to the bogus story that no one wants to journey with us, that we, that we do not belong, that we are not part of anything, that we are just alone wanderers forever forsaken in the solitude of our own shit. <laughs> we might be lone wanderers. Even so, still there is a place of belonging for you. There are people, you wander alone, but there are people who will support you even as you wander alone. There are people in our lives. That is what I want us to know from the get-go. We're talking tribe, we're talking people. Let's get into this today. Hero's journey is something we've been following within uh, the deep place this season, and um, I, what we're beginning to tap into now, in really talking about the people who gather around the hero, is we're moving from what I would say is the hero's journey to the heroine's journey. And I've mentioned this a little bit in some of the starting episodes. I want to get in a bit more into the heroine's journey today. Gail Carragher uh, wrote the book The Heroine's Journey, um, and it's a really fantastic book. It's her critique of Joseph Campbell, um, who understood that mythology that he had the idea of the monomyth, the hero's journey, that in every story throughout tribal history, cultural history, etc., etc., there was this one predominant story that all stories came under a monomyth. But obviously the mythologies that he looked at the cultures that he engaged with, um, historical cultures, contemporary historical, ancient historical, uh, he was viewing that journey through the eyes of an old white man because that's what he was. And so she and others have brought a, a necessary critique to the hero's journey. Um, in the heroine's journey, she, she says there's a different focus in what she would call the heroine's journey to the hero's journey. I want to read it to you. Um, she talks about it in her book, that the hero's journey in one pithy sentence is an increasingly isolated protagonist who stomps around prodding evil with pointy bits, eventually fatally prods the baddie, gains glory and honour. <laughs> That's her... It is one pithy sentence. <laughs> it's a, an interesting critique of the hero's journey. She says, here is the heroine's journey in one pithy sentence. An increasingly networked protagonist strides around with good friends, prodding them and others on to victory together. She says, don't worry, more considerably less flippant definitions of both of these are yet to come. However, I've been told not to be coy and to just lay it out there for you from the beginning, consider it laid. She says, essentially the heroine's journey is different from the hero's journey in five significant storytelling ways. These are also known as the five key ingredients. In purpose, point one, 
The goal or focus of the journey is different. A hero is usually concerned with defeating an enemy or retrieving a boon of great import. Think classic video game quests. A heroine is looking for reunification with someone who was taken from her. She's considered, she is concerned with networking, connecting with others and finding family. Point two of how the two are different. A hero acts on the offensive most of the time. He's active in the pursuit of his goal and will kill, or in the case of Odysseus, trick his way to victory. His enemy is stasis. A heroine goes about achieving her goals through communication and information gathering. She's not a conqueror. She's a builder and a general. She sees the skills and strengths in others and knows how best to apply them. She's a delegator, which is great for storytellers because it's easy to build vibrant, supportive, extremely appealing side characters. Also, this humanizes the protagonist who is self-aware enough to know what she is good at and when someone else can do it better. Her enemy is loneliness or isolation. Point three, a heroine's definition of strength is materially different from that of the hero. A hero must eventually go it alone. The journey usually climaxes with a one-on-one defeat of his enemy. For him, asking for help is a sign of weakness. He must shed the restrictions of civilization and family in order to succeed on his own. A heroine is the opposite. Requesting aid is a sign of strength. It doesn't diminish a heroine to seek and receive assistance on her journey. In fact, the more companions she has, the stronger she is. And if that concept makes you wince, perhaps you might consider your own personal definition of what strength means and how the narratives around you have influenced that. Point four, as a result is power. As a result of all the above, when a heroine has her most powerful narrative and iconic moments, these will occur with others. They are usually characterized by intense communication, unity in the context of sex, romance, friendship, or familial relationships. When the hero is at his most powerful, he is alone because his quest is one of self-reliance and solitary achievement against overwhelming odds. His iconic moments will be ones of intellectual or physical priority over someone else. And point five, ending. A hero, because of his need to self-isolate, has sacrificed too much for his goal, so the end of his journey is bittersweet. Iconography often depicts him alone with the slow pan out sequence and a sense of profound pathos. He's either grown too powerful to fit back into the world he had saved or he's changed too much into a solo version of himself and can no longer exist in a group. Poignancy typifies the end of a heroic narrative. Lonely, death, hard drinking, a hermit's existence. The heroine is more likely to get a happy ending surrounded by friends and family with an implication of continued safety. I want to note with all of these things she's saying, um, she says biological sex characteristics are irrelevant to whether a main character is a hero or a heroine. Um, In other words, women, female-identified and non-binary characters can be heroes. Men, male-identified and non-binary characters can be heroines. So we're not talking talking hero as male and heroine as female here. We're talking the way we think about and construe our stories. I love all of these things that she is saying. And I very much lean more towards stories that are the heroine's journey, where the, the heroine gathers around her, I'm, I'm using gender, but again, we don't need to, gather around her, the people that she needs to go on the quest to learn and to change in and of herself 
that it's not an isolated journey, but we need people. That's what the heroine's journey shows us. We need people. We need each other. And each of those five significant ways that the heroine's journey differs from the hero's journey, like you would have noticed as I read them, each of those truly is about community. It's about a movement not into further isolation, but about the movement into community and belonging. That is where uh, our creative journey, if we, if you are on the creative journey, if you have left home and you've gone through the desert and the forest and the sanctuary and you've, you've, you've taken on giants who are stopping your way and you're going through the marshes and, and there's marsh creatures and all that kind of stuff that I've been talking about, if you are on this journey, you are not going to make it alone. The heroine's journey calls you into deeper community. Into deeper community. To know a sense of belonging by being willing to open up your own life, to open up your own frailty, to open up your own... to open up in vulnerability towards those people in your life who might come alongside and journey with you. The people that you meet along the way in your creative journey, these people are not your competitors. They are not your competitors. These are your tribe. They are the people who you can journey through life with, who you will help and who will help you. They're not competitors. This is not as um, I think it's um, Colin McCann who says there's no literary Olympics. So stop acting like there is. There's no creative Olympics. Our creativity is not like sport where we're trying to beat people. And if you are, get a new job. (laughs) Go do some sport. Get that out of yourself and come back to your creativity without that. And of course, I know for those of us who want to achieve, there is that little egotistical thing that comes up in me. And it's one of my things that I don't even like to admit. I don't even, I don't even, there's a massive thing in me not even wanting to tell you guys right now, but I need to say it because I know there'll be people listening to this as well who when you see people succeed, creatives succeed, there's this tiny little jealous thing comes up in you. I know it because it comes up in me too and I hate it. Oh, Gosh, I hate it when that thing shows its head, when when a friend or someone that I know or someone else that I don't know, when someone succeeds and this thing in me is comes up that's like, oh, but I, what about me? Well, I've done all of these things and I don't get the viral thing and I don't get the success or the breakthrough and this, our ego like cries out at that point. Um, But please, please don't listen to that ego crying out to you there. It's just wanting that affirmation in not a good way. That's where jealousy comes out of. But turn that around and and instead, because that's just the ego talking. When you notice the ego talking like that, when, when this little thing comes up, this little feeling of jealousy, when someone else succeeds, here's what you can do. Use that to trigger a different response. Don't run with that feeling of jealousy. Say, oh, there's that feeling of jealousy. That means that I can turn this 
turn this around and say who I'm feeling jealous about, oh, how proud I am of them. How proud I am of them that they have worked so darn hard, that they have done this and this and this and that they are being celebrated Actively go against the ego by celebrating them too. Jump onto their social media and respond with gushing, with gushing um, encouragement. Like just celebrate them. When you feel jealousy coming up in you, go against it by celebrating where those those people, those successes that you are feeling jealous about, challenge it. I hate it in me. I hate this thing. And I know it's there because I want to be seen too. I know that it's coming out of that because I want that affirmation. I want it. And, and I know that it comes up when I'm not feeling that strength in my own worth, that strength in my own worth, that regardless of how my creativity is accepted in the world, I can still be strong in who I am. And when I'm strong in who I am, then no matter who is around me, I just want to celebrate them and champion them and and encourage their voice out into the world and stand alongside them and put a microphone in front of their face. That happens when I'm feeling that I don't need to find my worth in somebody else. What I am saying is part of bringing a tribe and a community around you and and going on that journey with other people is being strong enough in yourself that when they succeed, you uphold them and you celebrate and champion them. That is what... That is what, not only is this about kind of helping and serving and, and being generous with the people that are in your life, but those people, you celebrate them. What's that saying that a, a rising tide raises all ships? Is that it? A rising something, rising tide raises all ships? That sounds about right. When, <laughs> you, when other people are rising, your ship will be rising too. Celebrate them. Celebrate that their work is getting out to there. Um, it's so, so important. Um, it is important to recognize and to name these people who we meet on the way. That's what this is about. It's important to recognize and name the kinds of people that we meet in this journey. So let's do that together now. Just a few quick words from our sponsors. You know, I find myself often trying to work out what does it look like for me who grew up within Christianity within that conservative evangelical tradition and now still trying to hold on to um, to the, the good things within that and work my way forward and leave a lot of stuff behind. How the heck do I do that? Well, one of the people who speaks into this in such beautiful ways is Liz Mullaney with The Practice Co. Um, like literally these guys do daily kind of devotionals, reflections, meditations for you uh, that will help you on exactly that journey. So if that's you trying to walk that line, get it, go to thepracticeco.com and get a hold of their stuff.
I love it when I find an institution, an educational institution that is willing uh, not only to, to like teach the stuff that I'm on about, but actually brings me in to do the teaching. Um, I teach creativity and spirituality for ACOM, the Australian College of Ministry. They're one of the amazing sponsors of this podcast, uh, a Christian-based online university. So if you're from that Christian faith tradition and you want to engage and continue or listen to me a lot <laughs> in the creativity and spirituality unit from there, um, which is like 20 weeks long, then you can check out acom.edu.au and have a look at their spirituality units. And from there, shoot them an email and say that you're interested. So in all the intros to this season of the podcast, um, I've been sharing this story, our protagonist who's going on this, this journey and relating each of those to the creative journey. And in his story or her story, I don't even know if I've put it as a her or a him, either way, um, it's, it's the heroine's journey. That's what we're coming to, all these people that are gathering around this person. We've met a bunch of them already. We've met um, a bunch of them. We've met mentors and champions and heroes. They were the ones who gave direction, who gave us the compass, who pointed us in the right direction, said, keep heading this way. We've met some of them on the journey already These and talked a little bit about them. Those people, they're so important in our life all the way along the journey, those people whose work inspires us, who encourage us, who support us, who are our champions, who are our mentors. Um, we have met some of these people on the way already, but there's some of the people that, the, some of the kinds of people that we meet in this journey. The other kind of people we meet in this journey are our fellow travelers. Our fellow travelers, we've met some already. We met the person in the forest when we were lost in the forest and there was someone with a with a screwed up ankle, I think it was, in the story way back whenever I recorded that. Um, and, and we met the old lady who was at the edge of the desert and had been wanting to get through. And these people became our fellow travelers. Fellow travelers on our journey are so very important. And I think they come in, in different ways. You can think about the different people that you uh, let into your life in different ways. But the key thing with all of these fellow travelers, whoever they are, the key thing is that they trust you. Trust and it is, it's trust and belonging that lead to tribe and that lead to loyalty. And yes, we can talk about this in a marketing sense in terms of um, trying to bring our creativity out into the world that um, we, can, we can try as much as we want to get the millions and millions of followers, but who gives a stuff? Really, our best marketing is going to be finding a, a niche, a, a group of people who will come alongside, who you can journey with, who you can serve, that you, if you can serve and give life into people, they are going to journey with you and they are going to be your best marketers. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about that. Um, we're going to talk about the marketplace There's a, in an episode coming up. So we'll I'll get away from marketing. Um, but marketing does come into this in terms of finding a tribe 
um, finding a tribe of people, seeing marketing not as just trying to influence the masses, not trying to put stuff out there and get as many likes and clicks and et cetera, et cetera. Instead, turn it about and serve the people in your life. Serve the people in your life. Find... I know we'll go into marketing stuff later, another time, another time. But for now, I want you to think about the people in your life. Think about who your fellow travelers are. Um, and and maybe it, it helps me to kind of separate it out a little bit and to have some kind of, just to name that there are different people in our lives and it's okay to be different with these different people. What am I trying to say? Um, I'm trying to say, let's break it down into kind of four areas of people of your tribe. So you have what I would call your inner circle. That's the innermost circle is the inner circle. A circle out from that would be your collaborators. A circle out of that from that, I would call my family in, I don't like this term, in crass marketing terms, we would call them your super fans. Um, and a circle out from that would be your supporters in general or in marketing terms, your customers. So inner circle, collaborators, family and supporters. Let's talk about each of these. Um, your supporters are the people that you meet on the way on the journey who like your stuff. They like your creativity. They're into what you do and they might come along and they'll join you for a bit on the way and then they might, they'll move off again onto their way. They'll go and do something else, something different. Your family or super fans, um, your family are the people who, who like really love your stuff, like really love what you are bringing out into the world. And they are, they're like, you're the most important. They're the most important. They're the people you focus on in terms of trying to bring your creativity out into the world. Bring your creativity out into the world in a way that is going to bring life to those people. Bring life to those people. Those are the ones who are around, who go on the journey with you, um, who, who perhaps you were walking through the forest and came across them with a broken ankle. You saw their need and you supported them. And now they are journeying through life with you. Or they were in the desert and they couldn't get across it. They weren't getting across it, but they shared wisdom with you. And now you help them get across the desert and they helped you and your journey together. These are the, the, those people, they're the people you can serve the most. Really any kind of creativity, this whole creative journey, I think is about serving others. When you serve, when you give life to other people, beautiful things happen in their lives and that makes it all worth it. And the fruit of that, in the wake of that, your creativity will blossom and your creative career will blossom as well, 100%. The more that I have focused on giving to people and serving people and going like, above and beyond, going above and beyond just to love people. I was just at, um, I'm recording this just after I got back from Byron Bay at a creative design retreat with a bunch of interior designers. And I got to go to this retreat. Yes, I was performing and sharing and stuff, but the heart of what I was doing there is I would come alongside people and I'd offer them a gift, the gift of poetry 
And so I ran what's called poetic narrative sessions. And you've heard in, um, go back and listen to episode one of the Deep Place podcast and you'll hear all about how Joy and I, um, Joy Proudy and I, how we got connected through me writing a poem for her. And I've talked about this many times because it, it's, it's at the heart of my practice. It truly is that I write poetry for people and I give it to those people and I serve them. So I got to hang out with um, 25 interior designers and I wrote in over a period of three days, I had like half an hour sessions with individuals who shared some of their story and their heart about their creativity and their and design and what they're doing and who they are. Personal stuff, hard stuff, creative stuff, business stuff, whatever they wanted to share. And then I crafted their story into a poem that was a gift that I offered back to them. 16, hmm, 16 sessions, 16 people, 16 poems in like three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I wrote them all and did it all together. Um, it was massive. I was exhausted by the end. I was totally exhausted by the end. I went over and above, absolutely went over and above what I could have brought to that, um, to that gathering, to that retreat. I could have just come and performed and shared and did a little bit of poetry on the edges, but I went over and above to serve, to serve, to serve. And the amount of tears that I saw during that week, so many of the women, the strong, strong, um, creative, powerful, uh, decisive, creative designers, interior designers and decorators. These were amazing. We were many of them um, running their own companies with, with staff people, like just incredible, incredible women. And it was an honor when we truly journey alongside people and, and give them the gift of our life. It's an honor, the gift of what we can give them. And so it was like tears after tears after tears of like, how, <laughs> you wrote me a poem. What a beautiful thing. I then sent it to them as, as a PDF and then I recorded it and I didn't tell them I was going to do this again, choosing to go over and above. I spent the whole of the next day recording these poems and putting it to music um, and sent them to them so that they could continue on and have this poem to keep coming back to uh, this recorded poetry um, of what I did. This is what I'm talking about in terms of going over and above. And I, who knows, a bunch of them will be my, all of them are my supporters. Absolutely. Some of them will become family, will become like, I, I have so served them, blessed them, given them a gift that they'll be like, anything Joel does now I want to get into. But that's not the point. The point is that I got to bring life to these incredible, amazing women, that I got to love them and serve them and give them a gift. That is what is going to make your creativity thrive. That is what is going to make your creative business thrive. That is what is going to make your creative journey worth it. Those fellow travelers, the supporters, and your super fans, your family, and then the, the circling from that, collaborators. Collaboration, the more collaborative you can be, the better your creativity is going to be. Collaborate, do it. Like It's crucial for so many things. So many of my creative projects I collaborate on. The best of my creative projects have been collaborations. When I do something by myself, it's all right. When I do something with other people, oh gosh. 
So whatever you're working on, have a look and have a think about how you can bring people into the creative process with that. Not just tokenism, like this is not about tokenism. This is not about like just getting someone to come in to do a little bit of something. This is about true collaboration with people. Um, only beautiful things can happen. Of course, actually non-beautiful non things can happen, but that's more about when our egos clash with each other. For sure, there can be bickerings and you didn't realize what the protective defenses that a person might have and you get into your thing and you're like, oh, this is not working and you can go your separate ways. But most of the time with collaboration, um, I've found it to be a beautiful thing um, that has Again, let's go quickly to marketing that has got my stuff out there way more than I could have, way more than I could have done it myself. Um, but again, it's not the point. It's that we get to create with people and beautiful things come out of that. The other one is the inner circle. Who's your inner circle? This is the people that, like the others, your your supporters, family, collaborators, super fan, all those people, they're the people that you are... Um, you are inviting into your creative process and you are giving to them and, and serving them in some way. There's an inner circle that really is about the few core people who you give permission to speak into your life to confront you on the things that you need to be confronted on, to speak truth to what needs to, to the truth that needs to be spoken to you, to love you when you are down. These are the people you can ring in tears and say, I know I'm meant to be a, a, some creative leader, but I just can't do it anymore. And there's people in my life that are like that. There's not many people. There are people who I open my heart to. And sometimes that is absolutely in tears. Over COVID, I would not have got through if it wasn't for these people. If it wasn't, let's just name one of them. If it wasn't for Sabrina Lloyd, I've never met Sabrina face to face. But she's one of my truest, deepest friends who I can't even begin I can't even begin. And this is the thing with your inner circle. It's a little bit like that. It's like, these are the people who get me, who know me so totally well. Um, who are these people? Who are these people in your life? Inner circle, collaborators, family, supporters. Why don't you even draw those four circles coming out from each other and write some, some names in there. Write some names in there. Who are these people? Um, these are your people who have come alongside you. Perhaps they're a little bit like that lonely bartender uh, in our story from the start who hears about this journey that you're on uh, from your fellow travellers and joins you on that journey. And all of these people, here's, here's the thing, all of these people, there's, there's this beautiful interaction that happens. Let me tell you, Actually, let's, this, is, this is so crucial, these two different interactions. So let me put some music here because you need to like break this podcast thing up. <laughs> so I'm going to put some music here to show you that we're coming to the end of something and then we're going to start this new really important thing. Are you ready for it? Here we go.
so let me talk about the three types of people that are in the, the story of our protagonist at the start of the episode. Let me talk about three people, the lonely bartender, the marsh creature, and the beaten up boy. Um, when, uh, when you come across anyone, and here's something to, um, the change of perspective I think we need when we're talking about tribe and our creative journey and the people in our creative journey who trust us. Here's the thing. When you're talking about your own creative journey, you're the hero. Like when you're engaging in your own creative practice, you're the heroine. You are the one who is going through these obstacles and experiencing all that we've talked about as the hero's or the heroine's journey. Um, But once it's about you and other people, like when when the other people start coming in, you, you are no longer the hero. You are the guide for them. This is a really important distinction to make. There's a movement from being the hero of the story. Yes, you are, you are the protagonist in your own story, absolutely. But in the story of others, you are the guide. You are the, the champion, the mentor. You are the one who, who pulls out the, the, the compass and says, head in this, what if you head in this direction? You become the guide when other people are around you on your creative journey. So every time you meet someone, every time you play a song for them, every time you share a poem with them, every time you are giving something to someone, see them as the hero and you as the guide, not the other way around. If you put them as the hero of their own creative journey, then you understand your role is to come alongside and say, hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? Have that change of mind. This is what that the lonely bartender is all about. Um, that person who comes along and who joins your tribe, um, that whoever that person might be, no matter who they are, they hear about your creativity, they hear about the creative journey you're on, whatever that might look like, they come alongside you, your perspective on them has to be, they're the hero, they're the heroine, how can I help them in what they're doing? And so we must also turn to children's books to understand. Of course, we need to turn to children's books because children's books are so full of wisdom and wonderful things, especially ones by guys like uh, Peter Reynolds and Oliver Jeffers. Uh, Oliver Jeffers is who I want to read to you right now, a book called Lost and Found. And it is a picture book and you can only hear my voice, but I think you will get what I am talking about. See, once there was a boy who found a penguin at his door. The boy didn't know where it had come from, but it began to follow him everywhere. The penguin looked sad, and the boy thought it must be lost. So the boy decided to help the penguin find its way home. He checked in the lost and found office, but no one was missing a penguin. He asked some birds if they knew where the penguin came from, but they ignored him. Some birds are like that. The boy asked his duck, but the duck floated away. He didn't know either. So that night, the boy couldn't sleep for disappointment. He wanted to help the penguin, but he wasn't sure how. Well, the next morning, he discovered that penguins come from the South Pole. But how could he get there? 
He ran down to the harbour and asked a big ship to take him to the South Pole, but his voice was much too small to be heard over the ship's horn. So together the boy decided he and the penguin would row to the South Pole. The boy took his rowboat and he tested it for size and strength and he told stories to the penguin to help pass the time. And then they packed everything they would need and they pushed the rowboat out to sea. They rowed south for many days and many nights. There was lots of time for stories and the penguin listened to everyone. So the boy would always tell another. They floated through good weather and bad when the waves were as big as mountains until finally they came to the South Pole. The boy was delighted, but the penguin said nothing. Suddenly it looked sad again as the boy helped it out of the boat. Then the boy said goodbye and floated away. When he looked back, the penguin was still there, but it looked sadder than ever. It felt strange for the boy to be on his own. There was no point telling stories now because there was no one to listen except the wind and the waves. Instead, he just thought. And the more he thought, the more he realised he'd made a big mistake. The penguin hadn't been lost. It had just been lonely. Quickly, he turned the boat around and rowed back to the South Pole as fast as he could. At last, he reached the pole again where was the penguin? The boy searched and searched, but he was nowhere to be found. Sadly, the boy set off for home. And then the boy saw something in the water ahead of him. Closer and closer he got until he could see the penguin paddling forward in an upside down umbrella. He hugs the penguin. And so the boy and his friend went home together talking of wonderful things all the way. Lost and Found by Oliver Jeffers You know, I so wonder if so many of the people that we see as lost, um, which kind of comes with the feeling that we are the found ones and we need to help these lost ones because they are so very lost. Perhaps actually, uh, perhaps they're just lonely. Perhaps many of the people we meet on the journey are just lonely. And when we get it into our head what they need, we can miss the point. Like when we're the ones who, are th- who instead of sitting with and listening and being present uh, to those people that have come into our lives. Like, and that's the challenge with the guide is not to, not to guide in the way we think uh, someone should be going, but rather to sit and to listen to what the penguin, <laughs> to what the penguins in our lives. I don't even know if penguins, I'm sure penguins make sound. What sound do penguins make? I really am. I'm not going to even attempt the sound that a penguin makes. We need to listen to the penguins because we don't even know what they sound like. I don't even know what they sound like, guys. And I'm ashamed of that. (laughs) So I need to listen to the penguins in my life. I need to listen to sit with. These are the people on my journey uh, on that. Yes, I am the tour guide in the sense of coming alongside and listening well and, and trying to help them figure out where, where they're headed and what they need, not what I think they need. 
It's not about what I think they need. It's about what they actually need and the many who are just lonely, who just need a friend and someone to tell stories with. And then there will be the people who join you or who you join who are really different to you. Perhaps they are so different, they look a little bit like a marsh creature. This thing that comes up out of the depths that you're going through the marshes and there's all these other people in the story at the start, all these people who are stuck in the marsh, who don't who can't find the way through but even when you try to help them they don't actually really want to help uh, and we need to name that we come across lots of those people as well um, but what the what the marsh creature teaches us in re- especially in relation to helping people is actually the people who are so different to us the, and the people who often we might think of oh we're here to help these people in in reality they're the very people that we need to show us the way through the marshes. The people who are different to us, the people who me in my privileged, white, colonizing hero warrior, wanting to change this world, wanting to save the poor creatures of the earth, those people are actually the people I need to help me. They are the ones to help me get through the marshes. They are the ones that come as a mirror to my own ignorance. Let me, let me tell you a story. I wrote about it in my book, Woven, so I'll, I'll read it from there for you. The car was full, not with people, but with stuff, lots of it. Boxes stacked to the roof, bags and clothes and suitcases and paintings and books and food. It was a small car and right now it was overflowing. A cardboard box balanced precariously on my right shoulder. My left arm pressed back into a wall of knickknacks, trying to stop it falling onto the gear stick. My head was pushed at an awkward angle by the threatening avalanche behind me. I had bags on either side of my legs and desperately hoped nothing would fall beneath the brakes. This was not a safe way to drive, but there was no other choice. To make matters worse, the rain pelted down a flood of water outside to join the avalanche inside. The windscreen wipers chased each other the water ignored them. I strained to see through the torrent. Another passenger was squashed into the car with me, Christy. She did not seem to notice the pouring rain on the window. Her head was in her hands. She sat crying in the passenger seat, her body shaking, black mascara, a stain down her cheek. Her face was half hidden behind two full bags and a small wooden music box, the sacred items that sat heavy in her lap. What we carried stacked high in my car were all the possessions she owned, she and her partner. She tried to hold back a whimper, but the strangled cat of its grief broke free. A sob pierced the air, louder than the rain. It had been one hell of a day, it had been one hell of a life. My life and its issues were a beachside vacation in comparison. I'd been living in Melbourne just for a few years at that point. I'd started helping out at a local soup kitchen, trying to 
trying to match my rhetoric with my reality of what I wanted my life to be about. And I'd been, I'd been waking up to the broken hierarchy of our world for some time now, unraveling and raging and wrestling and doubting. It was a, a constant deconstruction. But by then, to be honest, I was just getting sick of my own cynicism. I needed something that I could actively give myself to. One night I went down to the basement of a local church building where I heard that they gave dinner to people who needed a meal. I helped out with the serving and then sat around talking and this is when I met Christy. It was six months later that she sat in the passenger seat with her head in her hands and the tears were falling. Christy and her partner, Andrew, were both heroin addicts. Addicts who, like many, were trying as hard as they could to get clean, both on the methadone program, desperately fighting their addictions. Christy talked more than most and certainly faster than anyone else I'd ever met. This coupled with nervous twitches, slightly shaking and obvious agitation throughout her body caused by years of addiction made her words come out tumbled, washing machine words turned in circles in her mouth and confused. To understand her, you had to put the pieces of her thoughts together in the right way. It was a puzzle. When you solved the puzzle, what you heard was a caring thought toward her partner or a cry of desperation or a declaration of determination or a theory on God and the universe or some profound and beautiful insight into life and love and loss. A deep wisdom was hidden beneath the shaking body of her addiction and the puzzle pieces of her words. One week, Christy told me the story of her life. Broken family, broken bones, broken promises, broken home, a life of desperation and struggle and drugs and hunger and dreams and hope, always the hope, always the fight. Her life was the very opposite of my own sheltered upbringing, my mansion on a hill. This was why I'd gone to the soup kitchen in the first place. I wanted to live out a new way of being in the world. But I still carried with me all of my old evangelical zeal for wanting to save people and put on my chest the badge for doing so. I thought these people needed my help. I thought I had it together and they did not. Such is the ignorance of the saviour complex. The colonialist missionary kid of my teenage years was still in there, still governing how I saw the world. It takes someone like Christy to shadow one's ignorance and show blindness for what it is. Each week, for several months, I took her and Andrew to the chemist to get their methadone. As we went, I could see the way others avoided them, how people looked with judgement, as these friends of mine bent to pick up half-used cigarette butts from the gutters. I ate meals with them, and we talked and laughed and cried and dreamt of better days. They told me through gritted teeth of their financial difficulties, but they refused to take money to help out. They said they were the ones who had got themselves into their mess, so they needed to get themselves out of it. This was a hard one for me to take, me who had so much I could give them, me who wanted to save them. I remember the day Christy broke down in tears because she had promised Andrew she'd no longer steal from the shops, yet that morning had given in and stolen a packet of coffee. She was racked with guilt at having broken her word to him. She desperately wanted to be a better person. Everything about these two was the determined fight for a better life. A fight against the drugs that broke them and tore them apart from each other, the poison they injected, the slow death. Yet in the time I spent with them, I was with some of the most generous, kind-hearted, authentic, forgiving and encouraging people that I have ever met. They taught me. I did not teach them. They were saving me. Saving me from my ignorance, from my ego, from my need to save them. Saving me from myself makes me think of the Dead Marshes scene in The Lord of the Rings. Frodo takes the ring to Mordor by himself. He needs Samwise beside him, but even then they cannot do it alone. So who takes them through the Dead Marshes? Who guides their path and shows them the way forward? It is Gollum. 
the addict who is Gollum. They need him, he saves them, he gets them through the marshes. So I received the call late one night, a hysterical Christie on the other end of the phone, her words even more disjointed than usual. Throwing rocks, I heard, kicked out drugs, baseball bat. This was all I could make out. My heart beat faster. I could hear her fear. She passed the phone to Andrew and things became clearer. They'd been living in a small cottage out the front of their dealer's house. I'd been to this little home a few times, but they'd never told me who the owner was. They'd fallen behind in their unofficial rent because the week before they'd relapsed and had used again. This led to a large argument with the landlord dealer who had turned off their electricity and started throwing rocks at them. If they came outside the little hut, he gave them till the next morning to be out or his friends would physically throw them out. Now he was standing on his front veranda with a baseball bat at his side. This is when Christy rang me, scared white and panicking, shaking even more than usual. I drove to their home, also scared white and shaking more than usual. Thankfully, their dealer had gone back inside by the time I arrived. Their little lounge room was candlelit and full of fear. They'd started putting all they owned into whatever boxes or bags they could carry. They were then hurriedly jammed into every corner of my car. We packed as fast as we could. About an hour later, Andrew left on his pushbike to meet us later at Christy's mum's house. I stood beside Christy as she packed the last of her stuff. She stopped for a moment and stared down at a locket in her hand. She looked up at me and she said she was proud of herself. I told her I was proud of her too and I asked her what made her say so. She told me it was because she had managed to keep so many things that were precious to her. She said no other junkies I know can say that for themselves. She piled old diaries into her bag. The very last thing on the coffee table next to the dripping wax candle was her music box. I opened it and listened to the tinkle and stared at the little girl dancing, twirling around in the candlelight. I felt like this dancing little girl trapped inside my own music box, the comfort and ignorance and tinkle of a seductive tune. I'd been so blind to the harshness and raw inhumanity of the world to what my friend Christy had to face every day. So an hour later, through storm and stress and holding back the avalanche in my car, we arrived at her mother's house. The car was unloaded, we were soaked through. Half an hour later, we were wrapped in towels and sipping a cup of tea together, trying to get warm and dry again. As she sipped her tea, Christy suddenly coughed. She swallowed, looked up at me and blurted out, (coughs) I believe in Jesus. Random. Yeah, I said, somewhat taken aback by this statement out of the middle of nowhere. You know what I do too. And I found myself for the first time in a long while really meaning it and believing it. See, she went on to tell me that Jesus was a healer, that he would connect with people and listen and bring them love and peace and do whatever he could for them. This is the Jesus she believed in, and I agreed. She then looked at me, like she really looked at me, and she held the moment between us, her face still ashen with the shock of the day, her skin pockmarked and tight, her eyes jittery, her hands shaking. She placed one of these shaking hands on my own. Joel, she said, slowly focusing intently on the depth of meaning in her words, not wanting them to come out jumbled. You do this, she said. You do this too. You do what Jesus does. You do whatever you can. You love and you heal. Joel, you are my Jesus. You are Jesus on the earth today. You are Jesus to me. It was the greatest compliment that I have ever received. Not that it was my compliment or or not a compliment I could just receive without recognising it was a compliment directed above me to the Jesus she was seeing in me, the Jesus in me. She helped me to see him once again. I had come to save her and she saved me. She restored me. 
few minutes later, I was back in the car, empty car now, and it had never felt so cavernous before. I drove down the street and had to pull over to the curb. I couldn't, I couldn't see through my tears like I can hardly see reading this story now. I sat there sobbing, the emotional intensity of the day finally catching up with me and I broke. that time in my life, God still didn't make sense and the Bible was still a blur and Christianity was still flawed and through of hypocrites. The church was still full of politics. Yet as I sat there crying, my tears felt as though they were nothing but hope. A thread of hope that began to find a weave inside me. Hope. Hope found me that day. And I didn't realise I even needed it. And it was Christy who bought it. Hope. Friends, these people we meet on the journey, even if they're totally different to us, we need them. It's time to take off our how I am the hero warrior and my creativity is going to save this world. It's time to let the world save us. It's time to let people into our lives, those who are different to who we are. We need them. You need them. Christy was an addict, yes, but she was one of the most passionate, generous, caring people I've ever met and I needed. She brought me hope again. She brought me back and, and the stuff about Jesus at the end and faith and spirituality, she brought me back into a, a faith that I could hold on to. You can go and get woven and read all about it. This is not a plug for woven, trust me. This is about, you know what this is about? It's about gathering, coming alongside and listening to the stories that are untold in this world and letting them affect us. That is who we do this journey with. Pip Williams writes about it in The Dictionary of Lost Words, my favourite book of last year, of these, the words of the people that have been stolen, the words of women who have been stolen over the years out of the dictionaries, that it was only men who governed our words, the words that became dictionary words and how there were all these untold words. And we, we as creatives, we are the gatherers of untold stories. We are the gatherers of the people who are different to us. It is them who will change us. It is them who will save us. Hopefully you're okay after that emotional uh, episode from myself. But um, you know, like this is how much I let people in to affect my heart. Um, and I think as creatives, this is what it's all about. That's why I got so emotional because I, um, I let myself, I empathize deeply with this world. I truly do. I empathize deeply with this world in a way that 
affects me in a way that teaches me, um, just like I was saying. Um, and, and this, like this compassion and this empathy, um, it is what brings us to, to the final, um, person that we meet is, is this beaten up boy, um, this beaten up boy on the side of the road that we come alongside, um, and, and we do help like in, in sharing that, in sharing the, about the marsh creature and stuff, absolutely. Um, in some way I was able to help, um, this beautiful, incredible woman, Christy, who was going through really hard times in her life and she was able to help me. And it is this back and forth thing. It is not me. Uh, and this is, this again is is probably a needed critique about me saying that we're the tour guide, um, that we move from being the hero or the heroine of the story to being the guide. Yes, we do, but it's a certain type of guide. It's a guide that walks alongside, not a guide who has been there before and is up the front saying, go look here and see this and do this. And I know everything about the path you were coming, you were walking along. It's not like that. It's a guide. Um, I don't know, maybe a little bit like a Sherpa. Is it a Sherpa that 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 journeys up the mountains of Nepal with people and helps them with their packs and is on the journey with them. That's what I'm, whether that's a Sherpa or not, I don't know. Um, but is on the journey with them. Uh, and as we're on the journey with them, absolutely, we help them, we serve them, we give to the, to the people that we meet on the way and they do so in our lives as well. And with this beaten up boy, um, I, I wrote it kind of in relation to um, bring it back to the, that story in the Bible about the Good Samaritan story, um, where this man had been beaten up, and the the religious people and the authorities and the people who should be helping the man beaten up on the side of the road don't help the man. Um, but it is a Samaritan person who comes along. A Samaritan is a despite was because of different conflicts that happened between Jews and Samaritans. Um, Jesus is telling this story uh, to Jewish people uh, about this this kid who's been left, this person, sorry, who's been left beaten up and left on the side of the road. And, and to the Jewish people listening, the Samaritans were the despised people, were people they did not like, did not get on with. And so it would be a complete like punch in the face. That's the whole idea of these these parables that Jesus tells is, is you kind of have this pivotal moment, this hook, this this challenge, this um, just like comedy does. It's a smack in your face because it's something you're not expecting. The Samaritan help? What the heck? That's the least, the, the person we would least expect to help this um, person that's beaten up on the side of the road. Again, this relates to what we were just talking about with those, the person who is outside of um, our outside of our own cultural fishbowls, they're the, the, the people who would least expect to help. I don't know who that person would be in your mind, but we need we need the people who are different to us to, re, to bring us back to um, an, an episode. I think it was in the first season I interviewed uh, David Andrews, and I always remember when he talked about how, so he's he grew up in um, a, a conservative Pentecostal tradition and was part of a big conservative Pentecostal church and has gone through kind of what we might call in, in faith world as a deconstruction, challenged a lot of that. Um, it's very different, but he still is part of that conservative um, Pentecostal church. And and I never, I've never forgotten him saying in the interview, he's like, you know what, I go to church every Sunday to this same thing 
even though I don't agree with people with with some of the theology, et cetera, et cetera, I go because I need those people. I need those people that I disagree with. I've never forgotten that. Um, and I think in relation to what we're saying here, we we need people who are different to us on our creative journey. Just like this this beaten up kid on the side of the road that we're talking about, or the or the marsh creature, we need to deeply empathize. And not just empathize, but have compassion upon the people in our lives, the people we come alongside. Compassion comes from two words in the Latin, pati and come, which means to suffer with, to suffer with. Our creative journey, and I think our life journey, actually calls us to suffer with people to have that kind of open heart that that you break when they break, when they're broken, that you come alongside them. Like it reminds me of, um, of Father Damien, the story of a, a Catholic priest on the island of Molokai, where, uh, which was an island in Hawaii where all the lepers were thrown onto. Um, and, and he went over there and leprosy at that time was thought to be like highly contagious like if you were going over there you were you you're pretty much condemning yourself to death and and he did end up dying of leprosy but one of the one of the first he totally changed the island around the story is amazing if you there's an old um there's an old movie about it called Molokai if you can find that movie somewhere and watch it it's incredible about about the changes that he brought to this um to this suffering people um, but one of his, there's a beautiful moment, one of his first, um, when he moved over there and lived there, and one of the first sermons that he kind of gives from his church that he, that he built there to the people, his sermon started with the words, we lepers. Now, he hadn't even caught leprosy. He hadn't caught, he didn't catch leprosy for years and years and years, but such was his compassion, such was his connection, his, um, such, so, such was his solidarity with the people of Molokai that he would say, we lepers. And he lived there, caught leprosy and ended up passing away from it after bringing an incredible amount of change to that place. Um, it reminds me also of, of uh, Colin McCann who, who in his book Letters to a Young Writer that I've read some stuff out of, of before. Um, he has this beautiful chapter. I'll, I'll just read some of it to you now. He says, don't write what you know, write toward what you want to know. Step out of your skin and risk yourself. This opens up the world. Go to another place. Investigate what lies beyond your curtains, beyond the walls, beyond the corner, beyond your town, beyond the edges of your own known country. A writer is an explorer. She knows she wants to get somewhere, but she doesn't know if that somewhere even exists yet. It's still to be created. A Galapagos of the imagination, a whole new theory of who we are. Don't sit around looking inward. That's boring. In the end, your navel contains only lint. You have to propel yourself outward, young writer. Think about others. Think about elsewhere. Think about a distance that will bring you eventually back home. The only true way to expand your world is to inhabit an otherness beyond ourselves. There's one simple word for this, empathy. 
Don't let them fool you. Empathy is violent. Empathy is tough. Empathy can rip you open. Once you go there, you can be changed. Get ready. They will label you sentimental. But the truth is that the cynics are the sentimental ones. They live in a cloud of their own limited nostalgia. They have no muscularity at all. They remain in one place. They have one idea and it sparks nothing else. Remember, the world is so much more than one story. We find in others the ongoing of ourselves. So... Leave the cynics be, out-cynic them, step into that elsewhere, believe that your story is bigger than yourself. In the end, of course, your first grade teacher was correct. We can indeed only write what we know. It's logically and philosophically impossible to do otherwise, but if we write toward what we don't supposedly know, we will find out what we knew but weren't yet entirely aware of. We will have made a shotgun leap in our consciousness. We will not be stuck in the permanent backspin of me, me, me. As Vonnegut says, we should be continually jumping off cliffs and developing our wings on the way down. I loved his writing, connecting, uh, connecting writing, connecting our creativity toward what we're talking about here, that empathy, that pushing ourselves beyond ourselves, giving ourselves to those around us, to the people around us. That's what this is all about so that we can then face off against those giants in our path, that there will be giants that come in our way. And the only way we get past the giants and the only way we cross the desert is because the people around us who journey with us. And so to bring this into land, it is so important to recognize and name the people on your own personal journey and what kind of person they are to you. Are they people who you need are they people who you need to walk away from who would drag you down and down and down into the pit of their own misery, into the marshland? They don't really want to actually get out. And there's some people we need to leave behind. And who else do you need to name? Who are the mentors, the champions, the heroes that have been for you? And who are the people that you would be that mentor for them? the guide for them? Who are the lonely bartenders that need a community to journey with in your life? Who are the marsh creatures that you would too easily leave behind because they are too different to you? Who is the the beaten up kid left on the side of the road? Perhaps who all these people are in our life it is it is our compassion and our empathy towards them that gives us our mission. And mission is important for any organization, for any person, for any creative practice. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do in relation, not just to your own creativity that is about you um, engaging, but as soon as you bring your creativity out into the world, why do you do what you do? And if it is not for the people If it is not in the name of compassion and empathy, if it is not in the name of giving and guiding, if it is not in the name of learning from others and hearing and growing uh, in ourselves by letting other people in our life, if it is not because of these things, I put to you, you might have missed the point. But on the flip side of that is that if you can name these people once again, 
it's bringing you so much clarity to where you are headed on your creative journey. Name the people that your heart beats for. Name those people. As you come out from this episode, write down a list. You did that circle kind of list before of some people. Um, Continue, work on that list. Continue to write down, name recognizing the people who are part of your tribe or who are are connected to your creativity, to your life in some way. Um, These people, it's about the people. That's what I'm saying. It's all about the people. It's about the people, the people, the people. May you find your people, friends. May you find your people on your creative journey. It will be these people who get you through the desert, who get you past the giants, who keep you on the narrow path. Find them. Open your heart to them. This has been The Deep Place.